take your seats and we'll get rolling here. Well, thank you to those of you who have uh, prayed for my family and uh, all the well wishes for my uh, son's wedding. Two weeks ago, uh, we were all in uh, Maui, and this is a little picture from the rehearsal, actually. So that's my son there in the middle, Chris. If you've been around a long time, you, well, you watched him grow up, but you might remember him from leading worship. And then his friend Josh Warren next to him with his back turned towards us, and his new wife Mariah with her back turned. I know, it's not a great picture, but I was officiating at the, at the wedding, and I started taking pictures, and I realized I probably have a more important job, so that's the best I could do. Uh, though I was really tempted to, like, take pictures from down the aisle. I thought it would be cool, but I didn't do that. Anyway, it was a great trip, and thank you for all of uh, your concern about that. It was a, it was a great wedding. In fact, uh, they wrote their own vows, and uh, they were a little long, and they were tremendous. I mean, I tell you, you will, you will never hear more encouraging words at a wedding than the promises they made and their dependence on God as they spoke those things. So it was just like, wow, we should be done here. So that was, it was awesome and uh, had a good time. When I say uh, there was a wedding on Maui, you probably think a beach wedding, but actually it wasn't. Uh, so if I turn around and look the other direction, this was the view. A little dark, but sunset, um, about 3,000 feet up on Mount Haleakala, looking down towards uh, Kihei and Lanai and the West Maui Mountains. So it was, it was gorgeous and great setting and great family time, so thank you for that. You might uh, think beach wedding when I say married on Maui. How about, how about this? Let's change gears. If I if I say we're going to talk about God's will, what do you think of first? What questions come to mind? My suspicion is that most of us, when we first think of God's will, we think of something that is mysterious or elusive or a little hard to discern, that we have questions about specifics, like what does God want me to do in this situation? I'm facing a decision and I wonder what God's will is. I think that's how usually instinctively we react to that subject. My suggestion today, though, is that while it's good to try and discern God's will, we have a bigger need, a more urgent need regarding God's will than discovering it, and that would be to trust it, to trust God's will. When we fail to trust it, we probably won't get around to following it, and when we don't follow God's will, we lose out. We lose out on the very best that the Lord would have for us in life. So today we're going to talk about some reasons to trust God's will, to believe that our very best future is found within God's will, and to trust His will certainly more than our own. And that's where we start. Here's the first reason to trust God's will, and that's that it has foresight. The first benefit is that God makes plans knowing what will happen. And James is going to remind us as we jump into chap back into chapter 4 that you and I can't do that. Verse 13, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. James looks out at his culture, and it 
appears in this regard, much like ours, there are a lot of people who are making business plans, and they're really confident in those plans. Now, James is not taking aim at the fact that these are business people or that they're planning or that they even want to make money. That's not really the point. His point and his target is their overconfidence, their self-reliance. That's what he wants to point out. He says there are two problems with that. The first problem is that people don't even know the future. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Most of us can kind of picture what we think Monday morning will be like. Maybe you like that picture, maybe you don't, but the truth is we don't really know what will happen tomorrow. Pastor John MacArthur summarizes this problem in this way. I like his description. Life is far from simple. It is a complex matrix of forces, events, people, contingencies, and circumstances over which we have little or no control, making it impossible for anyone to ascertain or design or assure any specific future. Despite that, some people foolishly imagine that they are in charge of their lives. It's pretty well said. Have you ever made a decision or developed a plan and you get to the other side of it, you get to Monday morning and you have to say, I really wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> Here's the amazing thing about God. He never has that experience. He never creates a plan, gets to the other side, makes a decision, has it play out, and says, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Not really. Psalm 147 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power, and His understanding has no limit. God never waits to see how it works out. In fact, God's plan, His will, which Actually, his decisions, his plan was all formulated in eternity past, and he, he set it in motion, but, but uh, he put, poured all of himself into his will. It wasn't just a decision off to the side. So, for example, he put his knowledge and wisdom at play when he formulated his will. And so, because he has all knowledge and all understanding and all wisdom, he knows what to do. And God is good. He's just, He's holy, He's loving, He's gracious, and so He chooses the right thing to do. And as Psalm 147 points out, He's mighty in, in power, he's, he's limitless in power, so He's capable of achieving His plan. All of who God is, is poured into or expressed within His will. Here's the bottom line. God is just way better at making a plan than you are. He's, let's face it, He's better at it than we are. And trusting God's will just makes sense. It makes sense. Here's the second reason to trust it, and that is that His will accounts for eternity. James is looking at the situation and, and people, humanity. We've, apparently, we've always been doing this. We like to make our own plans. We feel really self-sufficient in that. And he's pointed out the first problem is, well, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the second problem is that, that people get into this sort of immediate gratification thing. We want everything now. 
Part of that comes from the fact that we sense that life is so short and we have to be busy. We have to be quick and we have to collect stuff in a hurry. And I think it, it produces some fear when we realize how, how fast life is, how short it is. And, and we don't like the feel of that and so we just get ourselves busy with our plans. Here's the second of James' questions. He says, what is your life? You're, you're a mist that appears for a little while and, and then vanishes. What are you doing thinking that you can just cover up this reality with your busyness and your plans, your own uh, agenda? We do that. We can deny and we can ignore the, 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 the brevity of our life and, and we're, we're driven by fear to to ignore that reality. David even experienced some of this. Psalm 39 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a, a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. Now see, don't you feel better? <laughs> uh, but it's honest. It's such an honest look at life. And, and don't you see people doing that? Rushing all over the in, to the ends of the earth, making their plans, stocking up wealth, trying to, to ignore this fact that life comes and goes so fast. Jesus saw this happening and He challenged us. He challenged people with a really famous rhetorical question. He said, what good is it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You get the the picture here, he's saying, now why would you go out and make your own plans independent of God? You never gather wisdom or, 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 or make uh, wise decisions. You just do what you want to, to try and gather as much stuff or, or, or console yourself in some way at the risk or even the forfeiture of the one thing that you could keep, your soul. You gather all this stuff you cannot keep, and in so doing, you, you put yourself at risk of losing the one precious thing that I'm offering you the chance to keep, your soul. He says, that makes no sense. Don't go your own way. Jesus would say, trust in me. If we back up a verse, he says, for whoever wants to save their life and, and gather this stuff and go their own way, they end up losing it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. In this world, as the world measures success, some of the things that the world calls the greatest victories are, in fact, Jesus says, terrible losses. And, he says, when you follow my ways, when you follow after and live in the will of God, it will look like to the world that you are losing, but you are not. But we need to be honest that sometimes following God does feel like we're losing something. He says, don't be fooled by the feeling. That is not a loss. You'll actually save your life in following after the Lord's will. So we, we cover up. We don't like the fact of how quick life goes. 
But God has a plan that doesn't suppress that or ignore that, but He faces it head on and He, he solves that problem. He says, I know your life's too short. I know your physical life is but a breath. And so I have a plan. I have a great and, and grand and glorious plan that accounts for eternity and puts you into it. And so trust me. Well, we could spend a lot of time on this. This would be encouraging. So why didn't I pick the encouraging thing? I don't know. Anyway, one, one quick verse, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Paul says, no, I remember you haven't even seen, your ears haven't heard, your, your mind hasn't imagined. <laughs> you haven't imagined what God has prepared for, for you and for those who love Him. Because His plan is, is grand, it's, it's eternal, and it deserves your trust. His plans are better than ours. Another reason to trust His will, and that is that it's attainable. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I feel like we think about God's will, we talk about God's will as though it's something that opposes us, that it's difficult, it's my way versus God's way, and that's hard or costly. Here's another way, though, of thinking about God's will. It's something you can, you can actually attain to. You can actually achieve this. You know, we go out and we make a plan and we say we, we hope to be able to do this with our lives. We hope to. We'll see. Can't, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we hope to do this. And that's kind of the best we can get. But if we are pursuing God's will and we're living within that, you can do that. Because God's behind it. verses 15 and 16. James says, instead, instead of all that self-sufficient planning on your own, he said, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Rather than those confident, self-reliant plans, you're to express humility. And so he gives us this phrase. It's been, it's become uh, pretty common in in uh, Christianity to use the phrase, Lord willing. So, this and this and this and this and this, Lord willing. And you've probably heard that a lot. I want to suggest there's a, a few ways you could use that that you really shouldn't. So, don't do this. Don't think that those are magic words. It would be a tragedy to hear James and then you go on, go out and you self-reliantly make your own plans. You never pray. You never gather wisdom. You never make a plan based on good, sound wisdom. But you go your own way, but you slap the phrase on it. I'm going to do this, go to this city or that city and make money, Lord willing. And then, you see, what we do is we go and we make it happen ourselves. And because we use the magic phrase, Lord willing, when I make it happen, I say, see there? God wanted it to happen. Don't do that. <laughs> there are no magic words in Christianity. You can't just slap something on the outside to cover up what's inside. We know that doesn't work. Here's another way you don't want to use the phrase, Lord willing. Don't use it as, as Christian fatal fatalism. <laughs> Bad timing there. As though God's going to just do whatever, whatever He's going to do. You ever say that? 
think that? Like, what difference does it make? I guess I'll do this, Lord willing. I mean, who knows? See, the Lord has invited you into a trust relationship. Jesus calls us friends, meaning He wants to walk with us. He wants to work with, with plans and the, and the purposes of life together. Don't treat God that way. Here's the, the right use of the phrase, Lord willing. You, you should use it if, you're, if you can express humility. That is, here's, here's my plan. I prayed about it, sought some wisdom, got sound principles. This sounds wise. I hope to do this, Lord willing, meaning this is what I want to do. Unless God doesn't want it, then, then I definitely don't want to do that. A humble response. That's a good use of Lord willing. Here's another good use of Lord willing, and that's a, a trust. Well, but God knows best. God makes better plans. And then confidence, too. I think we can express confidence in the phrase, Lord willing. If God wants me to do something and He wills it, then I can do it. I will do it. Paul uses the phrase quite often in uh, his, his travel plans, and we could look at a lot of references in the uh, New Testament where he, he goes to a church and he spends some time there and he teaches, he preaches the gospel, he trains them up, he gets a church started, and then he moves on to another place, and then he writes a letter back to them, and he says, I would love to come and spend time with you again and teach you again, Lord willing, I will. And what he's expressing is not like, well, God might stand in my way. He's saying that if, if God's in this, it's going to happen. I want to do this, and if God's in it, you can count on it. There's confidence in Paul's plans when God's will is involved. I think we should have that as well. We often think of His will as mysterious or, or hard to discover, but here's what I would maintain is that you already know so much of God's will. For all the times we kind of sweat over, you know, should I go this way or that way, we know most of God's will. I think you either know it or you have access to it right in this moment. If you're not sure, I would say it's right about knee level in the chair in front of you. It's called a Bible. <laughs> and it's, it's the majority of what you need to know about God's will. We could go all day on this. Let me just give you three quick things. It's Lord's will that you are saved. Second Peter 3.9, He is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what God desires for you, that you would come to repentance, that you would turn from depending on yourself to depending on Him, from being Lord of your own life to making Him Lord of your life, and, and to say, I trust you, I trust the cross of Christ. And, and this is God's will, and so either you're in that today, well done, you've achieved God's will, you, you live in relationship to Christ, or before you leave today, you could, and turn to the Lord in repentance. It's His will, and you'd live in His will. Here's another thing that's God's will, that you would live a contented life. Well, that seems challenging because the world is troubled, but this is God's will. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He tells us how to go about it. I want you to have a, a contented life, and what you do is everywhere you go, you rejoice and you're always praying, and when you get there, you give thanks in every circumstance. 
that's God's will for you, that you would have a contented life. Do you remember the, uh, the famous words from Paul in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so then when we're teenagers, we used to put that on a poster, and there's an athlete, you know, jumping or scoring or doing something, and I'm thinking, I can do it. Yeah, I weighed all of 120 pounds, but I could, you know, like, I could win an Olympic medal. I could play football. Sure, I could. Oh, well. You know, I could do anything. You understand what Paul was saying he could do? He was saying that in Christ he could live a contented life. He could be wealthy. He could be poor. He could be in poverty. The circumstances didn't matter. He could, in Christ, be content. That's what he was saying you could do. That's the all things. And then, 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, that you should be sanctified or set apart or, or devoted to the Lord above all other things. Remember that purity is not austerity. Purity is having a holistic or a whole sense of life where everything's in its proper place. And always, always, always greatest devotion is to the Lord. And when your greatest devotion is to the Lord, purity is not difficult. It's just what happens. See, everything's in its place. Here in, in 1 Thessalonians, it's sex, but we could list so many things uh, to go along with that, that you are more devoted to the Lord than to sex or to wine or beer or money or sports or entertainment or automobiles or food or even, Jesus would say, your family. That things fall into place when you are most devoted to God and His will. It's God's desire that you would have a pure life. God's will is attainable. Rather than seeing it as something that, that stands against you, it's your opportunity to su succeed in life and to achieve exactly the greatest possible outcome with your life. God's will is worth trusting. One more category, that is that His will defines love. The challenge of doing God's will is trusting it enough to do it, but His will isn't a, a cold, impersonal, strategic plan. Now, I've mentioned, you know, God's will started in eternity past, and He made this plan, and He set it in motion, and He's got His plans and purposes, and, and I was really tempted for us to read Ephesians chapter 1, and, you know, this message became four messages and all that kind of stuff, but that's your homework. Go read Ephesians chapter 1. Y you know the Lord Jesus Christ because of God's will and His plans and His purposes, and those were set in motion, and, and yes, it is true they have sort of this grand cosmic sense about them, but they also are very personal. It's His heart. His will is His heart, His desire to relate with you. Verse 17, James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. See, if you know some of God's will, and I think you do, failure to trust His will and live in it, that's, James would say, well, that's sin then. And that's a break in relationship, which is the goal. This is why Jesus often talked about His commands in relationship to love. 
John 14 is one of those examples. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. We often say here at Gateway in one form or another, and this is another good opportunity to do so, doing God's will, obeying Him, following Him, that's, that's not a means of getting God to love you. If that's what you're after, you could stop doing that now. It doesn't work, and it's not necessary. Here's what God's will is. God's will is first and foremost how He has loved you. He set those plans and purposes in place regarding His Son so that He might purchase your redemption, so that He might account for the shortness of your life and the penalty of sin and, and, and death and extend it and His plans into eternity, so that He might spend eternity with you expressing His kindness to you, Paul says. God's will is how He has loved you first. And second, it's how you are to love Him for loving you. Make sure you always keep those in the right order. There's this great scene in Mark chapter 3. Jesus' ministry is, is fairly early on, and, and He's enjoying great fame, and crowds are gathering, and you know that, those, some of those stories. And uh, His family is concerned. His mother Mary and and his uh, brothers and sisters, and they're worried about him because they're thinking, uh-oh, you know, this false Messiah complex thing, and son of God, and king of Israel, and like, uh, you know, do, do you have someone in your distant family, you know, that's a little bit like, we got to get them somewhere safe, you know? This is how they're thinking about Jesus early on, his family. Now, you remember who Jesus' brother was? James. Now, I can't prove to you he was there, but the oldest of his younger brothers, James, before he believes that his brother really is the Messiah, there's Mary, there's James, maybe some of the other siblings. They're like, we need to go get him somewhere safe, get him locked up, get him into therapy. Maybe there's a good, you know, inpatient system we could get involved with here because this is getting silly. This is getting scary, the things he's saying. And they go to stop him. And so they come, and Jesus notified, and Jesus says this. He looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here's my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, a rebuke to James and Mary, yeah, it was. And we could think about that, how awesome it is that, that James believes at some point, so he could write the book we're studying. But at this moment, he's not there. And yes, it's, it's a rebuke, but think about what it is for the people sitting around him. He's, he's saying to them, you're family to me. People who trust me, who listen to me and think that's the right way to go, that that's the plan for life, I love them. Those are my family. What an awesome invitation to sit down at the table with Jesus and listen and to trust Him, and to have Him look back across at you and say, you're family to me. Wow, that's awesome. 
another reason to trust the will of God. Now, I know that uh, some of us still wonder, yeah, but what about this choice or that choice? I'm still wondering, you know, how do I discern God's will? And I know that that would still be lingering even as we talk about trusting God's will. And so, uh, I thought, let's, let's finish up. We'll cheat a little bit. We'll jump out of James and go to Proverbs 3. Probably the, the most famous verses for discerning and living in God's will. Probably familiar to many of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Now, Solomon says... I think a little like James, or rather James, a little like Solomon, says here's where it starts. Trust His will. You have to trust in the Lord with your own heart, with your heart, and and not your own understanding, not your own will, your own plans, your own schemes, and your own agenda. You need to get that trust over here with the Lord. That's where it begins. If you don't start there, you won't get anywhere. Remember back in James chapter 1, the book starts with this question. You know, some of you are wondering, I need some wisdom. I'm trying to figure out which way to go, and and I'd like to know what God thinks. Which direction do I go this way or or this way? And what he said in that first chapter, if you remember back there, is, yeah, you should ask, but you have to trust Him. If you don't trust God for the answer He would give, don't bother asking. Otherwise, you're like, tossed about by waves. It starts with trusting His will more than your own. And then he says, next, in all your ways, submit to Him. That has to do with with not your direction, but your manner, how you're going about going in some direction. For example, we have a decision, and uh, we're, we're just, we're really eager to know how God would lead us. Should we should we buy the blue house or the brown house? And we, and we don't want to mess up. We, we want to be where God wants us to be. And so, let me tell you, first of all, it's absolutely right. You try and choose between the blue house and the brown house, you should pray and you should ask God. You should ask for wisdom. You should have wise counselors. You should follow sound wisdom and principles. That, that's all a given. But here, he says, what you need to do second after trusting Him is in all your ways submit to Him. Here's what I would maintain. See, we think brown house, blue house, go to the Scriptures. We find a few houses, but none of them are blue or brown, and we do this, and it wasn't anything to do with houses, and we're like, God, how are you going to tell me which which house? I would maintain that God has already told you what He cares about most deeply about in His Word. He put it in His Word so that everyone who was ever choosing a house would be able to know it, that He didn't just have us all living in the same color house. He said, I want you to go to the uh, brown house, and I want you to love your neighbors. Or go to the blue house, and here's what I care about. I want you to love your neighbors as yourself. He's already told us what He cares most about so that you can't possibly miss it. Or we think, uh, which school am I supposed to go to? I always feel bad for high school seniors. 
because all of us ask them, what are you going to do in the fall? And they get that glazed look like, I don't even know, and everyone asks me, and I'm overwhelmed, and you've maybe seen that before. Which school am I supposed to go to? It's good to ask God. It's good to have wise counselors. It's good to have a plan. But God has already told us the thing He cares the very most about, go to that school, be an honest student, and and be a good friend to the people around you. That's how I've imagined you or determined you will be success at school. And we could go on and on with all kinds of decisions, and God would say, yeah, but I've told you the thing that's really on my heart about this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So, in all your ways, you submit to the Lord. That's as you're moving through things. And then at the very end, it says, God will make your paths straight. It sounds a little bit more like a journey than a destination. I think that's right, that, that if we've trusted Him and we're following the, the, the ways of the Lord as we treat people and, and as we have integrity and all these kinds of good things, that God guides us and He straightens out our path and we wake up one morning and we say, huh, what do you know? It was the blue house. But we got all the steps right. It's a journey. And the main starting point that I want to recommend to you today is that you trust Him. You trust Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for uh, the opportunity to uh, think about Your will today and understand that uh, it's a gift, that it's actually a, a great, it's a glorious plan. It is uh, invested with your heart, your soul, your, your character, who you are, all of your qualities. It, it is wisdom itself. It is loving. And this is something we can do. But Father, you know that, that we are weak and thank you for being patient. So strengthen us to follow after your will and to live in it, to walk in it. And we do ask you to straighten our paths. Some of us do have hard decisions and I don't want to minimize them. It's important that we come to you, but uh, straighten our paths so that we would know we're following after you, that we're walking with you. Thank you for doing that. And we, we ask that you would help us do this so that uh, you would be glorified in our lives at every step, at every day, every turn. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.